Hebrews chapter 4. Long in there about verse 12, the writer's going to say, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword it penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Everything he's going to say is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word he uses there uh, is where we get our, what, and that's actually a Greek word, I think, trachea. It's right here. And like this before the word of God. You should be vulnerable. This is not a position of defense. When, rider, when fighters enter the ring, they don't come out there like this. It's not defense. It's surrender. So in regard to our uh, pursuit this year, our consideration this year of the kingdom in our lives, Luke says, chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees and they're trying to observe the kingdom. When's it going to get here? Jesus said, the kingdom doesn't come with your careful observation. He said, the kingdom of God is amongst you, is in your midst. It is, mine says, within you. And that's what we're talking about. Not the kingdom of God in some place, not the kingdom of God in some general way. We're talking about the kingdom of God amongst you, you as an individual. The kingdom of God in the midst of Sharon, in the midst of Richard, in the midst of Clay. The kingdom of God in the midst of Jadon. Luke has a lot to say for us about that. We looked last week, you can turn over to the Luke chapter 10 if you don't mind. <clears throat> we considered last week what Luke tells the bright young lawyer here. Well, he's an expert in the law. I don't know at all that he's young. Sorry about that. I bled something else over into that. But he's an expert in the law. He studies the law of God for a living. He has the God, law of God memorized. He understands it. Uh, he deals with it. He has a question there in verse 25. Teacher, he asked, talking to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's Jesus' response. What is written in the law, he replied. And how do you read it? I've come just, just this year in my study of Luke, I've come to the idea that verse 26 is the pivotal verse in this text. If you're going to hear the message of one verse, hear the message of this one. Not, not is this the word of God? Is this the word of God? Yeah, it is. Jesus said, if you're talking about life, 
And let me tell you, when you're talking about eternal life, you're talking about the kingdom. Because outside the kingdom, there's not any eternal life. If you have any desire for eternal life, then you have desire for the kingdom to be in the midst of you, to be within you. That's your desire. Because that's how it takes place. That's, that's the function and the process God's put up. And it's not just do you, do you believe the law? Do you know the uh, academic data of the law? He said, how do you read it? Well, it gives the correct answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the guy wanted to justify himself. That's what he had in mind the whole time. That's what he had in mind the whole time. I think Joe read that to us a while ago. Since we have now been justified through his blood. There ain't but one who justifies and that's God. You can justify yourself in your own mind. Well, you're not the judge. Paul said, my conscience was clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord that judges me. If God's the creator, then God's the judge. So what are we doing? If we're concerned about the kingdom, if we're, if we're wanting eternal life, then what are we doing with the word of God specifically? What are we doing with the things of God, maybe even, but specifically, what are we doing with the word of God? How do we read it? Are we looking for him? Brandon just prayed about our focus to be on the important, on the spiritual because the physical doesn't exist. That's not what he said, and that's not true. The physical exists, and you're surrounded with it all day, every day, and you deal with it all day, every day, and most of the physical is not on your terms. It's just not. None of the spiritual is, but which is more important? Which is more important? When we're partaking the feast, What's our focus? What's the feast supposed to, what's the communion supposed to put us in mind of? Who is it supposed to put in our mind? Are we supposed to have awareness about the manner in which we take it? Did Jesus say, do this considering the manner in which you take it? It's not what he said. He said, do this how? It's written on a table in front of us as a hint. In remembrance of me. How are we reading the scripture? It creates awareness about ourselves. If we hear it, it penetrates to our soul and divides joint. It gets real specific. It brings discernment against our are not just the things we do, but the decisions that led up to the things we did and what is it we're really after to start with. No, the word lines all that out for us. That's what he said in Hebrews 4. The word's living and active. Part of my encouragement today is why don't we let it be? 
Why don't we let the word be living and active? Why don't we let the word be the important spiritual thing that feeds us, guides us, motivates us, comforts us, brings us peace? Instead of seeking that on some physical level that doesn't last and doesn't matter anyway. Well, interestingly enough, then Jesus tells this story, as we mentioned last week, to this guy who's taking the scripture and trying to justify himself. And he tells this story about the Good Samaritan. And this is not just some moral lesson. Well, the moral lesson from this is we need to always be nice to people who are on the side of the road that got beat up by robbers. No, that's not him. We need to appreciate and respect people uh, that we would normally look down on because the Levite and the priest were both active covenant-related children of God, and this Samaritan was, was Jewish ancestry but had precious little knowledge of God and the law, and his worship wasn't even how God prescribed it. Jesus said, here's an interesting thing. He told, he told this parable. This is a parable. This is not a historical event Jesus describes. It's a parable. What does that tell you? Jesus told this just to clarify history. Jesus is not clarifying history. He's not giving this guy random good moral lessons. He is pinpointing, let me tell you how important it is how you read the word. Here's a parable, and, it, and it's to describe a truth. A man that had very little access to the word of God and, and very little participation in it, but what he knew about God was impacting his life. What he knew about God was making decisions for him. What he knew about good, God was good and helpful to people who needed help. And people over here that had daily access to the word of God, who had specific roles for God in his in his people at that time had specific active roles that they had to do all day every day for God and with all this information they had about God and all this knowledge they should have had about God it found it really hard pressed to show up in their life all that comes from how you read the scripture I'm offering that to you. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't work. It fits very well. I think further that it fits because the very next story on the heels of that is chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Paul said, Romans 12, practice hospitality. Isn't this a good thing? She has opened her home to Jesus. Now, this is some of Jesus' very good friends we know from other scriptures. Martha had opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But, verse 40, Martha was distracted. God bless her heart. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Did the preparations Martha's distracted by have to be made? The inspired scripture said they had to be made. If they don't make them, they're not going to get made. Somebody's got to make the preparations that, that had to be made. And Martha's making them. She's distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him. Here she comes to Jesus. God in the flesh. The one who John chapter 11 will have a conversation with this same exact woman after her brother Lazarus has passed away and say, Lord, if you'd have been here, he, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection. If he was cooking supper less often and paying more attention to who I was and what I did, you might have known that ahead of time. But she didn't. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what on earth good is it going to do anybody to listen to what Jesus said? You're cooking supper and everybody's going to eat it. How long does that last? How long does supper last? If it's real good supper, it might last till breakfast. And then next day, come sundown, what do you need to cook again? Supper. Okay. Yeah, but she opened her home to him. Well, that's great. But guess who came into her home? Jesus did. Guess what she just puts above spending time with Jesus? Physical stuff that has to be done. She needed your prayer, Brandon. In her mind, and in her, that's what she needed. She needed to think, you know, well, what's really, what's really important here? The Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God's come into my house. Should I be sitting in his feet, hanging with bated breath on every word that comes out of his mouth? Or should I be cooking supper? She came to him and she asked... Lord, what's the secret to eternal life? Lord, Lord, I'm really interested in, in being involved in your kingdom. Lord, I'm really interested in you being the object of my faith. I'm really interested in putting my faith in you and living out of that. That's not what she said. For crying out loud, she's griping. Who would have thought that? She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to do the work by myself. How many of you have ever done any work by yourself that you could have had help with? Y'all quit. Why are y'all looking at my wife? Every now and then I'd help do something. I've done work by myself that I ought to have had help with. How's that feel? How many of you ever doing something that had to get done and you were doing it by yourself 
and somebody in the vicinity ought to have been helping you. Now, how's that feel? I think Martha's justified. I hope to goodness Martha doesn't try to justify herself because we just had a lesson about that. Wanting to justify himself. Request denied. Martha, wanting to justify herself. Request denied. You're telling me all this is not about the same thing? I think these are two examples of the same thing. Jesus not against cooking supper. Jesus not against being able to quote every bit of the law verbatim. Jesus, Jesus is far listening to the law and figuring out who God is and treating other people in regard to that. Jesus is far. I'm saying some stuff here that's life-giving, Martha, and you're cooking supper. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her, no, now she's getting bossy. She's griping to Jesus, and now she's getting bossy. I bet those go hand in hand. Love is grippy, then gets bossy. No, love is patient, love is kind. If you ever have a chance to get grippy, get ready, get bossy, I bet it's coming. Lord, don't you care my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. I think maybe it's not just supper. Maybe it's not just supper. Maybe the house is... Something's tore up and they're in the process of fixing it and Martha's been doing that by herself for the last month or so. I don't know. You're worried and upset about many things, not just supper. You're worried and upset about many things. What are we worried and upset about? By the way, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing. It, are you telling me out of everything there is to be worried and upset about, Jesus said only one thing is needful? He would know, and that's what he said. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I don't know if Mary's doing a real good job of listening or not. I don't know if Mary memorized every single word Jesus said in her mind that night or not. But she's trying. Listening to, listening to what he said. That's what mine says. Listening to what he said. No, she's considering it. She's thinking about it. I'm recommending that we do that. That we specify time. If you're not, start now. Specify time and listen to what God is saying in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. God hadn't got anything to say other than what he's saying in Jesus. Everything God's ever said led up to what he's got to say in Jesus.
I'm not just talking about the letters somebody put red in your Bible. I'm talking about what is God's message? What is his message to us in his son? Evidently, he wants to fellowship us. Evidently, he wants to rid us of sin so he can fellowship us. What is his message to us in his son? His son is king and his son has a kingdom. And that is that is the reign and the rule of his son. And Jesus himself said that's going to be amongst you in the midst of you within you. And I'm offering to us this morning. Don't miss it. Don't pick up the book and justify yourself. Don't pick up the book just to study, just to teach, just to preach. Pick up the book. Now, sometimes you might have to do any of that, but not justify yourself, but the rest of it. Pick up the book to hear what is Jesus saying. Because the words he has spoken, they are spirit and they are life, John 6, 63. Ain't nothing more important than that. We're worried and distracted and upset about many things. An appreciable degree of which you can do absolutely nothing about. Jesus said, guess how many things are needed? Hold up one finger, and that's it. There's one thing that's needed. That sets our hearts in the right place to deal with all the other stuff we have to deal with. And if your life's in a tailspin, and your heart's in a tailspin, and your mind is in a downward spiral... You can go for a walk and relax your body, but there's one thing that's needed, and that's open the book and listen. Listen to him. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you for who you are, the God of truth who always tells the truth, who is always faithful and true, the God who wants more than anybody here, wants all men to be saved come to a knowledge of the truth. Wants those that are saved by the blood of his son to be transformed into the likeness of that same son. To have our lives and our perspective changed by who you are. To be impacted every single day by what you have done, by the great power that you have, by the undying and unconditional concern for ruined humanity that you have by the specific the specific attention that you give to each person who is willing to sit at your feet and we're trying to fix most of the stuff we're worried about father i understand that but there's one thing that's needed Help us to be people, Father, who pick the one thing that's needed. Help us to sit at the feet of Jesus. When we're mad, when we're sad, when we're glad, when we just don't understand. Help us to sit there, Father. Help us to reflect there on what he has said. 
And as we read the scriptures, Father, help us give, please, Father, help us give consideration to how we read it. Are we reading it to justify ourselves? Are we reading it to know better who is our God? Who is our Savior? What is he calling us to be, to do, and to have in his name? Thank you, Father, for this quiet place and this time of reflection and devotion and this opportunity, Father, to pray prayers that give you credit for who you are, to sing songs that praise you for the life-giving God that you are, to have taken, Father, a feast together with you and your son to remember him, to remember our commitment to him, and the price he paid, Father, so we could belong to you. Help us to sit at the feet of all that this week. Help us, Father, if need be, to have our Bibles open and to read something from it and to remember all these things this week. For it is the one thing that is needed. Bless, Father, our journey. Bless our journey in life for you. Bless our journey in life toward you. Bless it, Father, please, in any way that will bring you glory for the promise-keeping God that you are. It's through Jesus, our Savior, who died for us, who bled for us, and who lives by the power of an indestructible life always to intercede with his own blood in our behalf. We pray these things now. Amen. God Almighty can't love you more than he does. Jesus Christ can't be more king and more powerful and have more authority than he has. And all of that is for your benefit and on your behalf. Will you take it? Will you take it? Will you accept it? Will you let it impact and rule your life? The choice is yours. If we can help you have that this morning, let us know now while we stand, while we sing.